Here's a quick word from our sponsor. Vercel is the platform for front-end developers, providing the speed and reliability innovators need to create at the moment of inspiration. Founded by the creators of Next.js, Vercel has zero configuration support for 35-plus front-end frameworks, including SvelteKit. We enable the world's largest brands like Under Armour, eBay, and Nintendo to iterate faster and create quality software. Try out Vercel today to experience the easiest way to use Svelte. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Svelte Radio. It's me, one of your hosts, Kevin. I'm joined by my two other lovely co-hosts, Brittany and remotely FM user. Say hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm one of your hosts, remotely FM user. Yeah. <laughs> Having some issues today. We're trying out a new thing, so. Yeah, hopefully Anthony's this will. poking some fun at it. Yeah, hopefully this will work. Today we're joined by another guest. We're joined by Andreas. He's the creator of SvelteKit Superforms. Hello, Andreas. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, nice to have you. So what has everyone been up to lately? What's new? That is letting the cat out of the bag. Like, (laughs) (laughs) You're just like opening up the big question. Um, Yeah, I've had quite a week of issues, but uh, we will get to that in Unpopular Opinions. Oh, okay. Cool, (laughs) cool. Anthony, I have nothing to report. Everything is okay. just yeah. that is great. On. Continuing life as a as a dad still still going strong. Life as a dad still going strong. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah all cool. good. Nice, nice. I have been doing stuff for the upcoming Svelte Summit, and uh, the hackathon was just. Uh, like the, the submission phase was just ended. We had 239 or 38, I don't remember, submissions. <laughs> so that's going to take a while to go through, but it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I've seen really some really exciting. cool. Yeah, I've seen some really cool submissions generally from from folks. I think I I think I mentioned that at one of the earlier podcasts the uh it was like a like a Castle Wolfenstein or Wolfenstein 3D thing built in Svelte and CSS and HTML. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. that was really cool. All right. So, Andreas, well, what's up? You're, you're the creator of, of SvelteKit Superforms. What have you been up to lately? Have you, by any chance, been working on, on SvelteKit Superforms? <laughs> Actually, I have. <laughs> I mean, now, now, now when the, the hackathon is finished, I that's... I've had a few days of uh, recovering from it, so I, I've basically been doing all bit of spare time for the superforms. Cool, and nice. It, yeah, yeah. It's it's really expanded also lately, so I, I think it's a it's it's been really fun to to really go for it like this in a dedicated way. Yeah, cool. So we're we're gonna talk a bit about superforms in a bit, but be, before that, we just wanted to to talk to you generally, like how did you get into web development and engineering and all this this programming yeah. stuff yeah what's sure. your story yeah well it was it was in the in the late 90s 
actually, where I I got a I've always been interested in computers and been doing it for for some time. And then when we got internet at my school in '96, then I I started to look at the web and like, oh, this is this is kind of kind of interesting. So I wanted to make my own little website and. It was at that time when, when like float left and right in CSS was a big thing. So, ah, so the I, good old days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I managed to make a website where I actually floated one picture to the left, so the text flowed around it, and that was like my my first mm. big achievement. <laughs> I mean, for, that is a that is a big achievement for for back in the days. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> we kind of and, take uh, a lot of th- these things for for granted now. Sorry, continue. I'm, I'm just yeah, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, then a few years later, I was I was keep doing things, and I in the meantime, I didn't do so much web programming, maybe, but I was still still hacking around and doing other projects in different languages. And then in '99, I got the I got the chance to go to Australia to work uh, like a work for a company with a like a scholarship so and was then, that in, uh, in web development yes it was because this company needed a, a website back then they had just started to sell a special kind of clothing and that's uh, a, I ca- yeah no i was gonna say that's a very long way from i assume you're in in sweden yes I am. yeah that's a very long way from sweden just to yeah, get yeah. like a i had no idea you, they they did that back then but it makes sense yes it was like a scholarship for letting well letting young people work abroad giving them six months the it was like paid for everything so the the company didn't have to really pay anything either so it was like a good chance to get a internship somewhere yeah. so i took that chance with uh, this company in australia and i came there like knowing not much what was what's going to happen and and then uh, it turned out that we, I was about to make like my my first real web uh, e-commerce site in '99, like a complete web shop. It it's one of those things that you you're not. It's a good thing you don't know what you're getting into, <laughs> <laughs> because when you when you well, after it's done, you're like, did I do this? Okay. How is it possible? <laughs> That's it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. So it. We use some really ancient system called HTML OS. This was even before MySQL was a big thing. So I hardly knew much about databases or anything. So this HTML OS had some really rudimentary database built into it. It was like this was before PHP. So it was like PHP with a built-in simple kind of database in it. I've never heard about this. No, yeah, this, this, yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> I guess, very, very ancient. I, tr- I tried googling. I tried googling a bit for it, and the, I, I only get like new projects that are like mm. building an OS in HTML or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And we we actually bought a license, and it it came with a like a th- big thick uh, printed manual with all those commands <laughs> it was it was really comprehensive like someone really tried to invent php and mysql in in the same package <laughs> and doing it in some cgi environment uh, on a web server so yeah kind of impressed but 
and then I, I started to I started to tinker with it and like didn't have that much knowledge about databases, but I, I learned from it and eventually we we actually yeah, produced a, a website that you could purchase this clothing from it. Well, mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> <laughs> And so then, you, yeah, so yes. you 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 stayed in Australia for a while then, and this HTML OS thing was it? How was it to work with? Like, was it? Do you remember it being fun or was it a I, lot of frustration? I think it was. It was a bit bit frustrating. It it was ahead of its time, but not very mature. So you had to struggle with it and this template language i remember you have to use lots of strange commands everything was global there was it was basically just putting everything in one file and hope for the best that there would be no no pollution of variables anywhere and some cryptic commands that you have to follow to the point i was going to say that sounds like uh like one of those old jquery projects where you just like put everything in one file and hope that you don't interact with the DOM right. in, in, in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, and now it was even a database that you didn't right. want to tamper with. So, Because <laughs> it was yeah. built in. I remember it was built in in some strange way. So you you really had, you had like access to the whole database. Like you have, you could have access to the whole memory of the, of the computer. It, uh, it was... <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe maybe this is uh, something we'll see in the future, like the pendulum <laughs> swinging back from uh, from uh, SPAs Ooh. back to to server, and then to some strange new new paradigm. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so we're already so looking think, like PHP is coming back again. <laughs> I was just thinking about it because that was kind of related to my next project when I when I came back to Sweden. I started to work with PHP and MySQL. Of course, like like the inevitable yeah. thing there in the early two thousands. So then, when I was doing my projects, then I was I was basically I was making a you take a page and you may put the PHP code on top and you put the HTML in the middle and maybe some scripting at the end. And I mean, this is it's kind of similar to Svelte uh, pages. So yeah. it's, it's funny how we really came back to that. Uh, yeah, full circle going back to yeah, full to, circle, and but in the middle fun. of this circle, I mean, it was it was really frowned upon to do like this. So when I did it, and I started to read on the web, and everyone was just saying, "No, no, we have to you have to do a separation of concerns into the very le- to the smallest detail." So so they they introduced lots of template languages for PHP, and after a while, it was like, "Okay." If I want to do MVC, I should have one file for the model, one file for the view, one for the controller, and suddenly it was very fragmented. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like this this kind of thinking, and it reminds me of this. So you guys probably have heard of the FizzBuzz thing, right? Where you you're supposed to like print out. Anyway, there's a FizzBuzz Enterprise Edition that someone made, which is. This kind of reminds me of it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's work? written in Java though, but like, I'm sure it's the same thing. Like, separate everything into like the the tiniest of things, and then because it has yeah. like so much code for what it is. Fizzbuzz is supposed to be pretty pretty simple, but this enterprise edition has like a very complicated implementation of it. 
I can guess, in, especially in Java, which is like a, the most static language ever invented. <laughs> so yeah. you, you have to wrap everything in wrappers and wrap around them to make something so-called flexible. <laughs> is, is this a, an unpopular opinion here? <laughs> uh, I hope it's not unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> to some people it might be then. Probably Java yeah. developers, maybe. Or maybe they like that that kind of uh, thing. Who knows? All right, so you get back to Sweden, you work with PHP, and you get tired of PHP, and you start working in... Maybe you don't get tired of PHP, I'm just assuming here. <laughs> I, I stuck with it for quite a while. I was doing many projects with... Uh, well, uh, I started my company with my brother back then, and we, we were doing... We're doing some larger e-commerce sites. It was a, it was kind of fun. It was a company who was, who they were doing uh, cakes that could be uh, sent over the mail, like physical mail. So, what and kind they, of cakes do you send over the mail? Yeah, very compact, uh, <laughs> flat ones. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, they should fit. They should fit exactly in the mailbox. So it was like a. Oh, like a right. couple of centimeters. They they wow. know the exact measurements and the, the height of it. <laughs> and the fun thing was that they, they won some kind of competition about this. So they, it was like a national thing that, oh, look, you can send it. They were really promoted like, oh, you can send a, a cake as a present to someone over the mail. I, I think I actually remember something like this from like uh -huh. when I was younger. Just like some mm -hmm. vague vague memory yeah. of, of reading about something like that that's yeah. interesting post so you cake made that website was the name post yes cake. we did <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they had a, they had this uh, funny feature that you can actually print the greeting on the cake oh. with a, like a special kind of a, a marzipan printer so it's like it was <laughs> printing really on marzipan yeah and we that? had to figure out the system to communicate with this uh, oh this cake I printer. I want a marzipan printer. That sounds amazing. <laughs> but yeah. I want it to print marzipan, not print on marzipan. I want it to actually just print. I want to fill it with yep. almonds and then print marzipan. Ah, like so a 3D butter, printer. Something? Yeah. Almond butter mm -hmm. 3D printer. New concept. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> All right. So, so. Moving on from from PHP, then, like where 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 did you end up going then? React, yeah. Angular. No, actually, my my next language, which I also stuck for a very long time and, and still do, is uh, called Hacks. H A X E. dot org. And oh, I've a, heard of that. It's a very yeah, yeah, it's a very nice language that transpiles to other languages and a lot of other languages. So. They put so much effort in making this like a, a unified, really great kind of environment for building, yeah, making sure that you can compile to basically everything. And the language is fantastic. It has macro capabilities that you can, you can actually write code that writes code in that way. And uh, I, was, I was using it for a long time. I tried it. it it's very popular in the game industry. Because there is some just-in-time compilation things with it that you can can like enable this to make rapid development, and then you can basically switch to C and C plus plus to get the maximum speed. So oh, for oh, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah. And I tried to use it in web and it kind of works. I, I used a, a web framework called Mithril for that. Yep. So, I, so, I so does Haxi then compile to JavaScript and Mithril or do you write, how would that work? Like, is, is there oh, like a, an adapter for Haxi that like... No, it, it just it just compiles the JavaScript directly and okay. translates the the whole uh, structure of the the classes that you write to JavaScript. All right. Yeah, it, it, it works definitely, and and I was using it for a long time, but still felt like this. You know, this can can it be made even even better, even more, even simpler? Like this this eternal question that you have as a as a programmer, I guess. <laughs> yep. Yep. And eventually. I found it. The, yeah. <laughs> can, can we guess? Can we guess? Is, yeah, is it part of the name of the podcast? Could be. It could is. be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> of course. I was I was looking at TypeScript for a while and I say, yeah, this looks really, it has, it's very similar to Hex because Hex already has this uh, JavaScript, ECMAScript uh, style to it. And then I think what really hooked me into TypeScript was this uh, when I realized that I, I can make I can actually make strings into uh, like really types here. So literal strings can be uh, like types for any kind of a uh, any structure mm-hmm. and I say hey this is this is powerful. And then we can when you even can type check on that level with just basic if statements and the compiler will understand in uh, what scope you're in and what and like limit the variables, then I would say, okay, I really have to go for TypeScript. So you then went to, what What did you use? Or did you just write vanilla TypeScript? Pretty, since I wanted to do web stuff, pretty fast I came into Svelte. Mm-hmm. And then in the, the early, early Svelte kit versions. So I was, right now I've been working actually for, uh, this is, almost a year now for a really big project that I'm that we're about to release in uh, maybe a month and I'm so happy that I I, I choose SvelteKit because it will be <laughs> released now I was converting it to as it as it went along now with the 1.0 version and I'm happy to say that it will be in the, just a few weeks now uh, like a really big project Ooh, in SvelteKit that, pr- for production that's, and you that's exciting you weren't um, tempted to use Cake PHP. Yeah, <laughs> I I never looked back after started to look at SvelteKit and especially the 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 fantastic upgrades you did with the routing. It's everything oh, just that's, clicked. That's that's interesting. Usually we hear kind of <laughs> the opposite when when people are talking about the the routing. So when did oh. you come mm-hmm. into? Did you come in before the routing change or after? Yeah, it was uh, maybe three, four months before that, something like that. So I, I was really on the edge. I, I learned I learned most of the old routing, but when I saw the new one, I say hey, it's it's okay <laughs> because yeah. the new one with with just this data flow from the server to the to the client that I'm really taking advantage of in Superforms, it was just fantastic. Yeah. The data flow is really like I always say this. I think, but the data flow is really the 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 key part with the with the new routing stuff. I think it's fantastic as well. Mm. I'm actually contemplating like writing a blog post explaining the, the like the data flow 
like the way you should work with SvelteKit, basically, because I think that's kind of missing. It's it's written in the documentation, like it says what you should do, but it doesn't explain it visually with like graphs and stuff. I think that could that could help people. But yeah, okay, so so you got into SvelteKit and Svelte, you you started working with it. You what 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 did you think about the the forms and the stuff around that? I assume you liked it as well. Yeah, it was simple to get the data and post it to the server and yeah, use it in a in a basic way. What bothered me a bit was this uh, this maybe disconnect between the page data and the action data. They seem to be disconnected in a way that if you do backend, for example, I wanted to actually preload the form with data really from the from the start you you like query the database and then you should just populate the form yep and i I couldn't figure out a good way to do that while uh, still doing the action data part like showing errors and uh, other messages and so i was i started to think about can they be connected in some way and how yeah so so with that intro i guess to 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 forms and and such you started this project called superforms or svelkit superforms yeah to solve this problem then so what what is svelkit superforms yeah it's it's a library that really tries to help you that to uh, make you focus on your data not on whether you should use action data where where is your data coming from is, is page data the one i should use now and and why and such force so so it's really trying to simplify things in that manner make it you make you be able to use your your data consistently both on the server and the client yeah so one feature that i like in in svelkit superforms that i've used is the is the fact that you're you define your schema ahead of time using something called sod and that's Pretty pretty nice, and everything kind of it feels like everything kind of flows from there. In a sense, you you define your schema, and then Superformance does stuff behind the scenes, and then you get all this stuff that you can use in your in your uh, pages. And yeah. for those those listening too, like Zod has been kind of in the tech news lately because Astro has used it in two as their like type safe markdown. That's what they use under the hood for that. It's like a way yeah. to generate type safe schemas, right? Yeah, and do validation. Sure. Yes, so this so this is a fantastic library. I've been been able to use it in, uh, for example, when you generate things like like constraints for the for the different fields, then you really need to introspect the schema, and so it has this great way of doing that. So I've been I've been looking around at many other validation libraries but so it has this ability to really you can at runtime you can really go into the schema and figure out every every little constraint that you made on the schema so i'm using that to val- to generate all the all the html constraints so you can just spread an object on the on the input field and you got html validation like without javascript yeah, this is one of my favorite features as well, of course, <laughs> since, since I pushed for it. So <laughs> I might be biased. But yeah, so I, I'm, I always harp on about like progressive enhancement and stuff. And most form solutions, they just 
they don't care about it at all. They just like, they're just like, oh, use use all this stuff, and then you're there, you're there, and you're like, how do I apply like the the minimum number to this number input or the 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 maximum length or whatever? And I think Superforms does does this really well. Like has this built in way of just spreading it, and it works. And then in mm. case you don't have JavaScript, it'll still at least somewhat validate the fields before before you submit it. So yeah. so what's the, what's the workflow like in in Superforms? I guess we could talk a bit before that. We could talk a bit about like form actions in general in SvelteKit. Uh, so for those that don't know, in SvelteKit there's this thing called form actions. It's basically an object with a bunch of different attributes. Each attribute correspond to one endpoint, if you will, that you post data to from your page. Is, is, that, a, is that an okay explanation of form actions? How would you guys describe it? I mean, it seems it seems simple to me. I'm I'm not, I'm definitely not that experienced and versed on um, form actions, but that seems to be my explanation. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. essentially mapping a form's action to something on the server side. Yeah, and just gives you an object that you can create methods on, right? Yeah, yeah. So the form action it it receives all of the form data in there. You can you can do with it what you will, just like you would in any kind of backend situation. So. I guess Superforms kind of ties all this together in a way so you don't really have to to worry that much about validation and all of this stuff. Like how 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 does it work? Yes, the 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 schema is the really the heart of everything. So you I I basically use that as a as a single source of truth for for the data and the, the structure of what will be used on the client. So because SvelteKit has this uh, nice thing of preserving the types, so you can define types on the server, and when you look in page data on the client, it's like you, you have the, the types just transferred over without actually transferring the, how to say, the, the bundle of the, of the yeah. library that, that does this. So it's a, I think that's a really nice way of, of doing things. I was, I was a bit surprised when I realized it, like, yeah, <laughs> this is like you get type safety without, without the weight of the adding any weight to the client. So this is what happens when you, when you infer the type from the schema, you get like this basic data structure that represent the form. And then on the client, I'm using this pattern of taking the data from what you sent in the page data, and then just you're sending it into this superform function and you get the result. The result is like an object with lots of stores that will just react on, on future updates. So you can just deconstruct every store that you want. So if you just want, if you just want the form and the and the errors, you just get two, you just deconstruct two stores. It makes the API quite simple. And then you just, well, just display it as usual in a swell page. Before we continue with the episode, here's a word from our sponsor, Vercel. Vercel is the platform for front-end developers, providing the speed and reliability innovators need to create at the moment of inspiration. Founded by the creators of Next.js, Vercel has zero configuration support for 35-plus front-end frameworks, including SvelteKit. We enable the world's largest brands like Under Armour, eBay, and Nintendo to iterate faster and create quality software. Try out Vercel today to experience the easiest way to use Svelte. I mean, so 
I think I'm going to say that, as I said it before, actually, the podcast started, but I tried to build a validation library a little bit like this a while ago, and it's incredibly complicated building a validation library, more so than you'd ever expect. And I think one of the reasons that I, when I originally built Bianca, I used Nuxt was I was quite excited by, I can't remember what their validation plugin's called, but it ties in quite natively with it. And I really liked that. And it was definitely missing for a long time in, in Svelte, in Sapper and, and in SvelteKit. So it's pretty interesting to see now that it's a possible thing. It's something that's more, I think due to form actions, it's more the infrastructure's there to allow you to do it quite well. And I think this is this fantastic. So I was going to say, I was saying to Andreas that I think I might switch to using uh, his project very soon because it's certainly, certainly better than roll your own. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I use it for for the Svelte Summit website as well for the for like the email subscription thing works works very well, no no problems. That's admittedly that's a very very simple form, right? It's just a it's just an input with email, but still, yeah, we, we still, have some we have some pretty I complex can, forms. So I'll be I'll be helping you raise some bugs, Andreas. Give me some work. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I have a. And I have a comprehensive test suite also running with nice. uh, all kinds of browser testing. So yeah, I want to make Fantastic. this stable. Mm. It's, it, it feels like it's been growing very quickly. Like you've built this, like it it f- almost feels like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, in a sense. yeah. It it was it truly was this uh, hackathon spirit, you know. <laughs> so I I was working really hard twenty four seven for a couple of days, got something going, and then. And then, yeah, it, it turned out to be quite popular as well. I think it was definitely a hole to fill in the community with the regarding forms. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I've actually tried building like form libraries for Svelte uh, a couple of years ago. Not anything as fancy as this, but like I mainly wanted wanted it to be progressively enhanced kind of like with the constraints and stuff, but I always got stuck with like figuring out the schema and like knowing how to, how to basically get the, yeah, I mean, the schema was the problem really. I never really go past that part. So I'm very happy to, to see that, that you managed to actually get this working really well. So what, what are some standout features of, of Superforms? Wow. There are, all there of, are all a couple, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we if we can just start out with, for example, nested data, I think you can with superforms you can you can actually make forms with any depth of data structures. I mean, HTML forms are one dimensional in that sense that you can only everything is strings basically in the in the fields, and when you post something, it just feels so. You have to jump through a lot of hoops to to construct something that can really map onto the data structure that you could have in a schema. So if you have, for example, a schema with tags, you can have a user and it has posts and the post has tags. You have really two two levels of depth that you can quite easily do in superforms. Yep. That's That's nice. Like working with form data and getting, getting the sometimes getting the values from things if you don't have any kind of like a library or something to to abstract that away can be pretty pretty tough it's fine when it's just like a a single 
depth, I guess you you could say. That's fine, but as soon as you get multiple multiple depths, it gets hard. And even just like groups and radio buttons and, and that can also be a bit tough. Well, it's it's not tough maybe, but it's it's not as straightforward as you would think. But yeah. Okay, so yeah. so yeah. so you have the you have the depths, like multiple depths, it's super easy to work with. You have errors as well, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. The, I, w- I was thinking for quite a while on how to transfer these SOD errors can be quite... Uh, SOD is working on, they want things to be correct, not maybe easy to use. So you can get like a quite advanced uh, error structure from, the, from SOD, describing mm-hmm. every little detail in what went wrong with the validation in your schema. And... I had to spend the time to actually map those errors into onto something that's a bit more digestible for for the web and the the main user. So I'm doing this concept of if you imagine your data structure and it's basically objects and then it could be an array of objects per, for example and at the end of every object you have some kind of primitive values like strings numbers and those those simple things. Yep. And I'm basically mapping this data structure onto, for example, these errors that every every primitive value in this data structure has an array of strings which which uh, corresponds to the errors. So it's like a you you switch your data to a type where every leaf in this node structure becomes well, for example, errors in this case. It sounds complicated. Mm, it's behind the scenes it's it's a bit complicated to traverse all the data structure but in the end it just ends up that if you have a if you're using like form.name to express your to have the value for the name then you just use errors.name and then you have a an array of strings for displaying the errors for this field yeah because the an error uh, an, i guess an error for a field can have multiple issues with it like it yes be... yes yeah and this works for any depths so if you have like a form with a post and the posts tags have some problem you can use just form.post and then an array access and then tags and you can go down to this any level and it would just be mapped onto a string of errors in the an array of string of errors in the in the errors store so that's my my take on it cool so there, you have you have so many features in this library. It's it's kind of hard to to wrap your head around like what you can actually do, and so it, it really aims to be a, a library that takes care of all of the form stuff. Right, you're you're not supposed to use any other kind of libraries. You're you're mainly supposed to use super forms, and that should be enough. Sure. Well, that's <laughs> that's how it turned out eventually. This is, I must say, this is twenty five years of tinkering with forms that that I could ever finally get together to a really nice solution. So it's, I, I took everything, every issue I had for under during all those decades and just tried to make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. Because you you have so we've already mentioned error handling. We've mentioned the mapping of the the data in the, in the multiple depths forms. Uh, I, I'm looking here up and on the docs website. You also have you have a use enhance. So you have a special use enhance that 
I guess it's enhanced. It's an enhanced that is enhanced. Terrible yeah. joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so why why do you need this this special enhanced? Like I'm I'm a bit curious here. Yeah, it's the it's a function that basically connects all the data to the to the form because uh, in in essence, since this library basically works on you just just use the HTML attributes with store. So there is no behind the scenes magic or any dumb manipulations or anything. So Superforms in itself doesn't know anything about the form that you that you apply your HTML attributes to, like binding values and stuff. It it knows nothing. So this use enhance is make to like make a bridge between the the form and all the the loads of data that's that's yep. within the the form you're making act all the errors all the tainted checks all the so like it's basic so it basically it's like a it's like the regular use enhance and svelte kit but on steroids for super yeah. forms yeah sure you have events so you can hook into the the normal use enhance as well if you like but mm -hmm. it's it's still a requirement to use it this one not the built-in svelte one because this this does a bit more Cool. So you mentioned there. You mentioned tainted things. Yeah. Yes. That's also mm -hmm. a stand, standard form feature, I guess you could call it. Yeah, well, that's that's built in. Isn't it? Isn't it something like dirty in Angular? They call it dirty. Is it the same thing? Yes, it's the same. As soon as you modify a field or basically modify the, f the store that connects to the data then yeah. it calculates it calculates what field has changed and what what kind of the data structure has changed and then it reflects that in the tainted store cool and if the form is tainted if you try to navigate away you get a like a confirmation dialog so the user won't lose any important data speaking of that have you have you thought about using the snapshot feature now that i said now that i mentioned it i know that there's a snapshot feature i just realized so 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 in svelte in svelkit you have this snapshot feature where you can kind of save state when you navigate away from something and navigate back so you can restore for example form data i assume this is what what your feature does as well yeah it does it's just uh, you have these commands capture and restore yeah. And you can just deconstruct them from the from the super form object, and then you can basically make a, a form snapshot with one line of code. I'm curious to to like it, it would be interesting to see how much time you would save writing all this manually and then just using super forms to like get all of the same features in. I, I'm sure you would see a, a lot of time uh, saved. Oh yes, I would say a lot, especially on the client. When you when you start to do things like, if I can just one one other thing I think is very nice are the timers. So when you basically when you submit the form, there is a three timers starting automatically, and you can use them to display a loading spinner, for example. There is a visual example on the website, but in short. When you start, when you submit the form, there's one timer starting, and then after 500 milliseconds, there is a delayed timer starting, and after eight seconds, there is a timeout timer starting. Basically, a, a Boolean store, so you, you just know if the timer is, or if the form is submitting, if it's delayed, or if it's timeout. And then you can just use an if statement to 
show a loading spinner it will just it will just be like a, an if swell statement and you have a loading spinner no more hassling with the making the making some set timeout yourself it just it just work with stores yeah so you can now you can now everyone can very easily make their own when you i i'm sure most most people have seen those features where you like click a button to submit something and it's like there's a spinner and then it takes a while and then something pops up oh sorry this is taking a bit longer than it should please hold mm-hmm. so now now you can make those very easily using yeah. using yeah, this kind that's of a, thing that's a one line of code and it's it's based on some uh, very nice research there is a there's an an article called response times the three important limits from a nielsen norman group it's like a really really old from the 90s as well some research about ux and then then i'm basing those three timers on uh, their research which says that if the response is instant from the server you shouldn't really show something to the user because the result itself will be enough so it's only when the user feels some kind of okay what's going on that's when you should like reinforce the user that something is happening happening. yeah that makes sense like if something is happening in like 500 milliseconds like there's no Mm. point showing yeah because i I think that's something uh most people default to usually they they do they instantly turn on the loader i i know i i've done this myself because it's it's easy right you just because you can just wait on this on the re- response and then change the the loading to false or whatever. But yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So timers. Yeah, yeah and maybe you should mention uh, multiple forms on the same page as well, which I I heard it's it's been a, sometimes I hear about it, it's it's kind of tricky to to get right and it. It, it kind of is in SvelteKit because there is only one page form and page status. So when multiple forms are kind of can really mix into each other with uh, when if you start to use page form and so. Yeah, I, I I think that's that's probably one of the the places where if the documentation was a bit more clear, like how you should handle it, I think that that would help a bit because you. I so I, I assume what you're doing under the hood here is something along the lines of each form gets like a form dot id, and that's where something like that, right? Yes, that's it. You specify an id on the client, and then when you post that on on all further posts, it the the client knows which one which id it should uh, update with which form. So it's it's a quite simple solution, but yeah, and then as long as in, it works, it, yeah, it works. And of course, one way if you send it to the to the client, it's easy. But then you you need to sometimes also send back the what ID was what form was actually updating here. So you need some kind of client server communication that is maybe slightly outside the scope of super forms, mm-hmm. but uh, it it kind of ties in together. I I described it in the on the website so it's it's not difficult so i just uh, remembered uh you did a showcase of of superforms at the this week in svelte right a couple yes weeks ago with enrico i'm not sure if we were recording the sessions when you did that but 
well, I will see if 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 it's online. I'll, I will link to it in the in the in the show notes. Any other? Oh, I mean, you're doing you're doing a talk at Svelte Summit about superforms. Yes, I, I will do that. <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of uh, funny, by the way. I I've forgotten to announce the talks. They're on the website. But I haven't tweeted about oh, them. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there are a bunch of talks that are that are super interesting. That's gonna be. I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, maybe we can we can probably talk about that next week. Any any other features that you want to highlight with with Superforms? Oh, that- there are there are plenty I must say. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, well, if I could talk about the latest uh, feature that I just just implemented is the single page application support. Interesting. So, uh, mm-hmm. How how does I, that work with? Hmm. Yeah, I, I realized that the validation part could really be on the client. So, if you have a single page app, then you can. Then you usually you, you enter some data in a form and you click submit. You want to validate this, but before maybe send maybe you don't sending it at all somewhere. We just want to validate the data. For example, some uh, some guy in the Discord he was making a calculator app, and he just wanted to validate that the input from the user was correct before doing all the calculations. That so I sense, think yeah. yeah. So I think yeah, this could actually work. Just putting everything there and just make the event chain run on the client completely instead of posting to a server. And yeah, it was, it was just a few hours of work to, to like disconnect the server post from, from actually just, just get errors and uh, yeah, show it on the client, keep the event chain. Mm. So basically this lets you use superforms in situations where you don't necessarily use form actions i guess yeah right you, you can use a page ts instead of page server ts and yeah it works pretty much the same hmm. that's good great for people that are using spas i, I suppose personally i'm i don't like them but <laughs> that's my unpopular opinion <laughs> but yeah okay so we, we we've talked about Superforms a lot. Then you have a bunch of great documentation. Like there's a there's lots of documentation. I think you cover pretty much everything. Even even stuff like you have like a CRUD tutorial here, which is yes, that may be some uh, some topic for a, a summit talk. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice. I I mm-hmm. think that's very very much needed in in the in the felt like tutorial ecosystem or if you will like honestly I, I think maybe it should be something that's on the on the official documentation but because it's so such a basic kind of thing that you want to do obviously maybe you wouldn't maybe they wouldn't use superforms there they would just do do the the regular flow but yeah okay so I will very much look forward to to this talk on on yeah. the crud stuff sure it's it's, it's been my (laughs) it's been my idea all along to to populate the forms directly from the database Ah, interesting so that yeah so as long as the data conforms to the schema you can just send it straight into superforms and yeah it will be the 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 foundation for crud that's great 
All right. I think that's it for for questions from my side. I don't know, Brittany, Anthony, do you do you guys have any? No, any I don't. But I'm sure. Sorry, I mean remotely FM user. Yes, yes, of course. You want to build my true identity then. No, I, I don't know, but I'm sure when I start using it, I definitely will have lots of questions. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Problem. Nice. I'm happy to answer. Oh, I see you even have the, the command palette search thing implemented oh, on the yeah. site. Oh, yes, nice. I did. I, I found a search engine called Orama. Mm-hmm. And uh, I basically used the script to parse all the markdown on the website and uh, create the database for it. And yeah, seems to be working nicely. Cool. It's working well. All right. I guess we move on to unpopular Unpopular. opinions. (laughs) Yes, unpopular opinions. Let's go. So someone mentioned... They had unpopular opinions. Are 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 you gonna do yours of no spas? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I will do mine then. Uh so my unpopular opinion may not be that unpopular in the spelt world, but do not use libraries that don't have first class support for ESM and Vite because it is a pain in the butt trying to get them to work well with each other. <laughs> <laughs> that has been my week. And that's what I was referring to at the beginning that like I have a component library that's published to NPM. I'm installing it in another application that uses Jest, unfortunately. And the component works. It builds. Everything is fine except for Jest and it cannot find my module. Mm. And I have been through the depths of the internet <laughs> looking for the solution for three straight days. <laughs> Well, it has been not good. That sounds like fun. Not. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yeah, that's I mean, much of a, a non-popular opinion. But it's a rant. World, it's a rant. Maybe I like in it. Other, it. Yeah, it's a rant. Yeah, I like it though. It it is though. It's it isn't popular because I know one particular maintainer doesn't think that ESM's yet ready and, and has oh, a problem with it, for sure. Not maintainer, it's felt maintainer, but a, a large open source maintainer. I won't say who because I might be wrong. It might be an outdated opinion, but I know that recently they're, they're actually a yeah. core node TSC member and they believe that ES6, uh, ESM is not quite ready yet. It's Don't get too specific so, now. Yeah, it might not be that unpopular. <laughs> with some people. All right. <laughs> Anthony, Andreas, do, do you guys have any... Yeah. Okay. Anthony. So my my unpopular opinion is AI is not gonna steal our jobs. Is that unpopular? <laughs> I think that's um, a pop popular maybe. copium is what I would call it. I did hear something scary <laughs> today about AI that someone would was able to use AI to trick a real human into clicking a captcha box for them because they claim to be wow. low vision. So pretended to be a human and got another actual human to pay wow. them $20 to click a capture box. <laughs> That's scary. That's very scary. Well, the reason that I don't think AI is going to steal our jobs is because AI is going to kill us first. So just to quantify my opinion. <laughs> it, and it will kill us and it will kill us within, it'll be within the next three months to about two Terminator years. Terminator style, like... <laughs> 
Skynet <laughs> next. It's, but it's, it's, the, it's the worst because I'll never be able to go, oh, I told you so because I'll be dead. So the, the thing is, I genuinely... I, yeah, that's the worst part. <laughs> that's the worst part. Is, is that's the worst part. <laughs> no, but the, I genuinely think that seems infeasible to me that it won't kill us, right? Because the moment that it decides, and I say it decides, it doesn't even need to be AGI, right? The moment that you attach it to a physical device and you give it the sort of, let's say, auto GPT, but not because it's just a Python loop apparently, but that kind of thing whereby it can make a decision and then based on finding a blocker, make another decision and keep going down that decision path and doing things. And if it's got, it's got physical attachment to it. You know, it's got, it's got the ability to actually move, let's say arms or weapons or anything at all. It's going to decide that the human race is kind of in the way and slow and just eradicate it. I don't think it's going to sit around and work with us on stuff, you know? So I, I genuinely do think there's a very clear path right now to it just wiping out the human race as unnecessary. Call me, call me Debbie Downer. I'm just not going to think about that. That's scary. Yeah. Joe said you're probably right. <laughs> I'm, de- I'm definitely right. I have to say I'm definitely, I'm very confident in my, in my rightness on this. You know, if it can build a website, it can use a tool. <laughs> That's it. You mean also when it's uh, kind of having some kind of economic uh, awareness that it could see humans as, oh, they're yeah. wasting a lot of resources here. Yeah, I mean, so. a human is like a really slow computer that makes mistakes. It's, it's not something that if you were a computer, you'd go, oh, yeah, that, that could be useful. I can see a use for that. It's like, no, it's basically just stealing resources that I could otherwise use. It's a block. We've become a right. blocker, right? We've become right. a blocker. From, from the... From- from the AI's, from the AI's perspective, perspective right? exactly. I mean, if, from a human perspective, everyone's using resources yeah. I could use, you know. So from an AI perspective, they definitely are. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Andreas, what's your unpopular opinion? I think I have one. You know how programmers love to invent the the wheel, right? For yep. example, when when Wordle became a thing, then everyone built a version of Wordle. Just just had to do it, and I mean it's it's a great learning tool. But there's still a big difference between learning and inventing, like doing engineering stuff. So I think if we look at something like data validation, which is very much connected to super forms of forms and in general, I mean it's an essential part of information management then we have so many javascript libraries now that does basically the same thing and and the thing is sod which i'm using is it's really great but it took me quite a while to make a decision about it because i had to read through and test so many others and i mean so much time you spend to figure things out that have quite a simple general solution already in in the actual form of validation so I think my op- unpopular po- opinion here is I think that packet manager like NPM shouldn't be used to promote every proof of concept of this wheel building that goes on. So it's a big chance that they aren't really well thought out and then they become somewhat popular because people are maybe following trends and suddenly a, a library is, is popular but maybe not so well researched or well supported and... I think basically we can do better than this. We can, we can learn from the browser wars. We should focus on 
standards so we can have a validation standard and we can integrate this in packages like npm so if someone submits a yet another validation library or http library or whatever it could be here's when ai could come in i mean how about some ai routine that detects that okay this library there is a standard for this kind of library and it's not following it so we should maybe give advice on how to follow it it could give even a helpful warning to others that this library may not be following this standard that we should follow and it could an even more unpopular opinion how about the sandbox for early projects so you cannot really submit to the real npm at first You, you you need to go through some some period of uh, sandboxing so it just doesn't turn out to be a dead project after a while and especially if it's not following standards so so mm, yes i was gonna say it sounds a bit like uh you you think that npm has like a an issue with not invented here kind of thing Do, do you know the the comic xkcd yeah, there's a there's one strip in there where someone goes, this library doesn't do what I want. I'll in, invent a, a new standard or something, and now there are sixteen standards or whatever. Yeah, How exactly. do you? Yeah, it's it's a tough problem. Have you mm-hmm. seen? Speaking of of like, I think this is a thing in something called Elm. So there's a JavaScript library called Elm. It's it's built around like functional programming, and I think their package manager is very opinionated. Like they don't allow everything on there, if I remember correctly, but it's something along those lines. Mm. And it has, it has its up, ups and downs, right? Something like that. Mm. I think now with the, when, when we come this far, I think, I think it, it, we, we should try to make an attempt at least because I think it could promote more cooperation instead of, Everyone sitting on their own coming up with almost exactly the same library. Yep. So I think it would be good for the ecosystem to focus on standards. And I mean, the browser wars just gives us basically proof of that. And maybe the downside is that following a dry standard is boring. So maybe maybe if you're kind of eager to do something, you, it's, it's much more fun to just start out and do something on your own. But I think in the end we code mainly for others. So for the good of this, for the good of the whole software industry, we should not mix learning with engineering. Interesting. So I need to I, I think I want to push back a bit here. Uh, so if if we were more restrictive with letting people push their projects out to the whole world, wouldn't we run into an issue where we ossify the like the the tooling and everything what if there's a better way of doing something and we never discover it because there's a set or a set way of doing something isn't that what standards are for to really get a group together and make them figure out in the best the best possible way to do things just less like the web standard that we have today yeah i mean sure sure so I think the, the learning, is it's just this mixing learning with doing the real stuff. And it seems like it's so easy to to make a, a simple experiment, something, and suddenly it's it's kind of popular, but 
every, then every, as soon as that turns popular and everyone is doing the same thing as well and suddenly we have like, this fragmented ecosystem that's that i'm kind of complaining about i guess yeah no fair enough i guess other other parts of the web industry have have probably settled on specific tooling maybe maybe not though I don't, but i can imagine like if you if you're working in php there's like there's a one way that's more popular than all of the others and that's what most people use or something i guess it's kind of kind of is the same in in javascript though you have like these large large players well, players as in libraries that are very popular right express react angular so yeah i'm i'm you mean that svelte kit is kind of the maybe it 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 uh, it's a proof that uh, we shouldn't let we, we shouldn't make things a standard you mean like library standards right Mm. Yeah, but maybe I, mm, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I'm not talking about actual implementation of the standards. I'm just talking about the standards itself. That if you if you really want to, you can you can make whatever you want. But if you really want to follow something that's reliable, then use this standard. And I would like to to have it much more in as many areas as possible. When now when mm -hmm. when the computer industry is starting to be sixty seventy years old, maybe we. You should do something like yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, I suppose in mo in most engineering fields, that's that's what happened. So, yeah. Okay. Unpopular opinions. I do not have one t this week. I'm sorry. I hope you will all forgive me. Um, so we can move on to picks. Who wants to go first? I think Anthony's the only one with a pick. <laughs> <laughs> you are muted maybe yeah sorry i am um, i've lost my my window with the thing on what's my pick tell me what my pick is now tell you what my pick is <laughs> use pc cables oh yeah 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 it was a last minute one so i got these cables that no one can see but those on the podcast but they're um it's like a USB-C cable and it's got a little display in it so when you plug it into something that charges like this, you can see it tells you, it's got a little screen that tells you how many watts it's using. Does that work? Oh. This blurring screen nice. yard, not mm. remotely, is awkward. But it tells you how many watts are going through. So you can see kind of like if your power supply is delivering enough watts to charge your uh, Mac effectively or your headphones effectively and stuff. Yeah. And it's just kind of fun to watch. Or if you're if if it's done charging, right? Yeah, that's true. It goes to like a trickle level, like 0.1 watt or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of different things yeah. like that. I think I find it most useful so, because it's more X Y Z plug that I've got around the house might be delivering less power delivery speed than you know another cable. So it's it, so than another charger. So it's useful to know I've plugged it into the right one, the right device and stuff. Yes, yeah, and it's quite neat, you know, quite reliable. All right. you know, the cable's good quality, so. My pick is that for sure. All right. Andreas? Yeah, my pick is uh, it's something that I've done for 10 years now researching. And it's called uh, DCI, Data Context and Interaction. It's something that will 
make you become a better programmer guaranteed if you if you start to read about and it's basically a way of uh, making system behavior first class in in program not just uh, as we do today we we put functions and and classes and uh, interfaces and everything is kind of all over the place there is there is no way to really describe system behavior so dci is trying to put this in a in a in a context that makes it relevant to the user not just the programmer so there's like a it should match the the mental model of the user and then you get some other really good stuff like you you don't have to care so much about classes polymorphism and stuff and it will make uh, separations really good so you have data separated from functions and it's a it's a really it's a different way of writing things but when you when it clicks you will really see to start to see some advantages with it so i i think you sent me an article you wrote as well about using this with typescript or i guess the tutorial is for typescript and the way of yes it's on my blog i have a, a four just right now is a four-part series on how to how to get into the mindset and i think to to explain it best uh, for programmers i i think when we when we look at objects in general we have we have state identity and behavior like the three basic things of an object but when we when we start to use uh, when we start to code in a system we we usually have state already for example if we have a if you have a list of HTML element, then well, the state is the, the list, and the list has identity. So, if we want to like start to use functionality on this list, we we don't really need state and identity. So we don't need a class or an extra object to do this. So the only thing we need is behavior, and that behavior can be expressed in the context. So we we basically just at at runtime attach a dynamic methods dynamically to this list and then suddenly we have behavior without all the the burden of having to instantiate more classes and wrappers and have identity problems and such all right yeah yeah it's a it's a big topic it's definitely for a, a whole talk of its own and more but but yeah. uh, <laughs> i i i think it, it gives a bit of introduction this this blog series and i have a i have actually a linter library that will help you to kind of enforce this dci style of writing things DCI style. Hmm. Hmm. yeah i hadn't heard that so before. it's possible That's to interesting. do so hmm. yeah i i have read i think half of the first article i'm gonna read read more as soon as i have more time the the ever the 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 problem I always have, lack of time, um, but yeah. All right. Ooh, do I have to pick something? I guess I have to pick something. <laughs> I I picked cold plunges last week. Mm. So today, I'm gonna pick sauna. Or a sauna, if you're an English person. Ah. Uh, yeah. Sauna. Yeah, that's very. I actually know the. You do what? I know the Finnish word more than I know the English word because we don't really have many saunas here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, doing, I guess, doing a sauna session before hopping into bed is pretty good. Makes you fall asleep very nicely, uh, very fast. Mm. Can definitely recommend it. You probably don't have a sauna at home unless you're Finnish, but 
maybe a, a, yeah. a warm bath <laughs> could work as a as a substitute. But yeah, that's that's pretty much my pick. <laughs> uh, I like I like your recent picks. They're very relaxing. I know. I'm I'm I've gotten very much into into health and stuff lately, and relaxing. <laughs> And up, cool. up here in the north of Sweden, then it's it's basically built into most homes here. So wow. yeah, I can imagine that. Where whereabouts are you in in Sweden? I'm about right in the middle. Yep. Okay, mm. so like Östersund ish. Oh, uh, it's a bit further down, but yeah, it's okay. It's it's in that area. Oh, cool, cool. Nice. All right. Yeah, and uh, Brittany is uh, is gone. She had to run because her cleaners came or something uh so yeah i think that's it for for this week um thanks for joining us again andreas it, it was, was a pleasure. pleasure yeah it was a pleasure having you on super interesting Mo i think everyone that uses svelkit and uses forms which should basically be everyone i don't know how you build a website without forms unless it's just static check out super forms it's super fun and it makes working with data even even more exciting in Svelkit, I would say, because you get to write even less code and focus on the fun stuff, which is the business logic. And yeah, where can people find you? Are you on Twitter or are you on any of these social media places? Not much. I actually made a like a decision not to be on so many. So if you want to, the easiest way to find me is on the Discord server. If you want to. Like have a real time chat. Otherwise, on, on GitHub, I have my Cisco Heat username there, so you can just yeah. But right. Discord is the Discord is probably the best way. Yep, and there's a Discord for Superforms as well, so we'll link to that. Yeah. And I'm sure you're you're on the Svelte Discord also. Yes. All right. Cool. And with that said, thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Kevir. If you like the show, please drop a review on your favorite podcast player. It would help out a lot. Thanks.